Episode number 442. My name is Minter Dial, and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. I'd also like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show to Storywork, who put up his review on Apple Podcasts. This week's interview is with Becky Hall, Becky is a systemic executive coach, facilitator, speaker, and now author of the new book, The Art of Enough, Seven Ways to Build a Balanced Life and a Flourishing World. In this conversation with Becky, we discuss why and how to broker a life that is enough, bearing down on the biggest challenges of our age, finding the path between excess and scarcity, why you should start a no journal, and much more. You'll find all the show notes on mintodial.com. Please do consider dropping your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Becky. Becky Hall, how lovely to have you on my show. I I spotted you uh, as uh, in my theme, my thread on LinkedIn. I saw you had this new book, The Art of Enough. I pounced on you, and you were kind enough to come on my show. In your own words, Becky. How would you like to describe who you are? Well, hey, Minter, and I'm um, delighted to be on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Um, So I'm Becky Hall. I am a coach um, and facilitator. So I work with people usually in leadership positions across different sectors, and I've been doing that for about 20 years. Um, And I sometimes work with teams too. Um, and I've just written a book, so I can also now say I'm an author, which is a lovely Yay. thing to be able to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the art of enough: seven ways to build a balanced life and a flourishing world. Tell us your relationship with the word enough. When did it sort of become a beacon for Becky Hall? Great question. So, about seven years ago actually I began to notice a pattern in my work which was that a lot of the people that I coach were struggling with something that aligned with imposter syndrome some version of feeling that they weren't enough um, despite their incredible success and uh, outward appearance of being really amazing internally there was a sense that they weren't enough of of whatever it was whether it's not clever enough or not not um, up to the task or or whatever so there was a sort of theme that that I noticed that lots of people were struggling with with their inner confidence essentially and then on the other end of that spectrum I I was working a lot with people who are just swamped with too much to do. So I guess it's part of the territory when you when you become a leader that you often have a lot of volume and a lot of complexity in, in your work. But this was sort of felt a bit off the scale and that it seemed to me that all the sort of resilience uh, theme and, and uh, well-being stuff was coming into prominence and I was working a lot in that space with people who were just struggling to find boundaries. So, so this balance between not enough and and too much uh, was very apparent to me in my work and then of course we're in this in in a in a time of climate crisis so i was thinking well what is these what are these big patterns where where we seem to feel that we're not enough we seem to have too much to do so we can't do enough and then in the world we're all uh, crazily over consuming and it's as though we can't sort of lose our addiction to to having more and I I got really curious about what it what the theme was and for me the theme is enough our relationship with with what is enough um, and how we can stop funnily enough as as I was speaking or listening to you I was thinking about the climate change and are we actually doing enough Well, yeah, I mean, the ironic thing is that we're not we're not doing enough to address climate change to, to, to in order to stop um, over consuming. And um, and I, I think that that's also a really interesting uh, way of looking at it, isn't it? That that um, we need to do more. Of course, we do um, in order to 
really look hard at what we're, how we're consuming in the world. Uh, we're overshooting planetary boundaries like t several times. Um, and what is it in our psychology or in our culture that, that makes that such a complicated or difficult thing to do? It seems so glaringly obvious in one way, and yet, and yet we're struggling to do it. So in, in your book, you, you counterpoint or you put enough in between two poles is the way I see it. One is excess, too much on one side, doing too many things. And the other side is scarcity, too little. And, and I feel like both of those are, are also parts of the challenge. So if I explain it differently, some people are overwhelmed, doing too much. Maybe they don't feel that they are enough. But I also see people who don't have passion, don't have that joie de vivre. Mm. They don't have enough of that. Mm. And I wonder to what extent there is a maybe a population where you see it's more one side or the other for you having studied this what how would you react to that yeah i i think that we're all constantly balancing between these two states and as i heard what you just said um i agree with this sense that often what pushes us to a state of excess is a sense that we lack something. So it's all in this sort of mindset of scarcity, where uh, where we, uh, we we lack something, we're not good enough ourselves, so we try and overcompensate and get to these positions of excess. So rather than seeing there are some people who are drawn towards excess or some people who are drawn towards scarcity, I think that actually it's an internal balancing point for each of us. Um, and the reason that I, I used the image of a of a set of scales with two two things at the end is because it stopped it takes us away from a binary where you are either enough or you're not enough you know which i think i think in our in our world we're very drawn towards binary propositions and actually what i'm suggesting is that enough is a state in the middle of excess and scarcity where from which we can flourish so when we begin to uh, really attend to what a, a state of enough where we're able to feel that who we are is enough and we're able to put good boundaries in place so that what we do is enough. That is the point where we find flow and we find uh, ease from which we can, of course, then engage with our real passion and, and our joie de vivre, as you, as you uh, call it. Um, so it's a sort of one, it's almost a prerequisite position where once you get into the state of enough, that's the point from which you can really look at what it is you most want to do with your life and how you want to make live a fruitful life and, and make the differences you want to make because you're not sort of absorbed with or distracted by feeling that you're not enough or um, just swamped with over commitments or a lack of boundaries or a sense that you can't quite ever have time of your own so i struggle with this concept of balance mm. i wonder if balance is even possible yeah i i um i the way i see balance is 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 not as a sort of static state it's a sort of dynamic state so um, the image I like is is if you try standing on one leg, you, you're constantly adjusting that. It's it's a sort of it's a state where you're constantly having to be in awareness and and making small little adjustments. Um, so I, I don't think balance is an endpoint in itself, but I think it's a it's a a, a state from which you can begin to. Um, make more choices but it takes intention i think um and it takes constant work so you know when 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 we have this idea of living a balanced life in inverted commas i mean that will constantly change according to to how we are in each each season of our lives you know um so i don't i i uh, i like the idea of balance but i don't think it's a place where we stop I don't think it's a place of arrival. I think it's a place of continuing uh, adjustment. Yeah, as you say, it's dynamic. So 
um, funny little side story, of course, as someone who likes languages, enough is is probably a hard word for someone who doesn't know English to spell, to, to pronounce. Is it enog or you know, enough or enough or, um, but of course the word enough can also be somewhat stigmatized as you write in the book, it says it represents mediocrity, settling for average, not trying hard. How do you how do you concretely convert that notion, societally imposed mediocrity of of compromising between one or other, and and making that a it's a powerful torch for your life. Mm. It's it's the thing that's the most um, difficult really to uh, to um, counter this idea that. Um, I believe that in our culture we're so addicted to more is better or, or this sort of sense that we've got to drive, constantly strive. Um, and I'm, I am trying to reclaim the concept of enough as a sort of jumping off point. So um, I, I say in my book and I believe that, um, that far from being unambitious, enough is actually a place from which we can realize our ambition. So I'm not suggesting we we have to that we don't want to grow or achieve amazing things or be creative or uh, do the best, live our best lives. I'm saying that once we can get into a state of enough where we're not preoccupied by what we either what we lack or with too much, that we can get to this place where we go, I am enough my life is enough therefore now what do i want to do with my energy and my time and how can i really flourish so i i suggest that it's moving us away from striving and helping us focus on thriving instead of um in, instead of this constant sort of craving um it's a bit like uh after you've had a good meal then you have energy to to go out and do your stuff in the day um, as opposed to trying to do do things constantly be hungry or or uh, fighting for the next thing you know so once once you're once you've had a great meal and you've digested then you're ready for the day this kind of that that would be an analogy well funnily enough my head goes to i'm ready for a nap uh, post <laughs> Prandial nap, feeling very satiated, uh, uh, as I hopefully am. So, as I was reading your book, and uh, one of the thoughts came to my mind was, to what extent do you believe that we can change? Do you have as a first principle the notion that human beings are able to change uh, versus our genetic makeup and the things that are kind of pre- ordained via society, education, the way we look and and uh, what God has given us or, or whomever gave us? Hmm. Uh, yes, I believe that people can change. I absolutely do. I think that um, I think that we have so much choice. I think that we are clearly hardwired to uh, be risk aware, alert, as, as mammals, we share the same sort of nervous systems as, as pretty much every other mammal on the planet, where we have an amygdala, a sort of fight, flight, freeze response, and, and we're hardwired to be very attuned to risk for our own survival. Um, but in the 21st century, I think we really need to, uh, well, we have the opportunity to understand how we can we can manage that state and not be um, totally driven by fear and instead tune into something a bit more generative like love or abundance, a sense of abundance. Um, and I, I also, if you take a really big systemic look at our cultures, certainly in the West over the last 400 years, um, the, we, we've, we've got ourselves into this state of, uh, of scarcity and therefore striving. Um, but preceding that, there are plenty of um, ways of living that humans on the planet have have and still do, which which aren't so addicted to this con this state of dissatisfaction as a sort of starting point. Um, and so I'm saying, let's let's really look at that because it's not serving us. You know, we, we've we've taken our planet to the brink of climate collapse, and um, as a 
looking at it really big picture, uh, we're, we, we really need to start to think again about how we are, are living so that we can leave the planet to our ancestors. So uh, amongst the, the trendy concepts that have emerged over the last decades is um, the Italian wonderful word, far niente, do nothing. And, and I, I uh, am not an ADHD, at uh, least certainly never been diagnosed one, but a kind of living my life is as, as actively and hyper as I have been. I, I've always looked at Farniente as a sort of, whoa, oh, that's way over there. Uh, not able to, or not willing to make the change to go over there because probably I have a belief system that says, well, if I stop doing anything, my motion and emotions will um, just shrivel, shrivel, shrivel up, and I won't be, I won't be aware of how to move back. So, one of the your art number one, uh, the seven arts number one was starts with mindset, and, and and naturally, I'm a big proponent of looking at mindset, and I and I love looking at the idea of changing minds. However, if you were to start with mindset. What happens if you get the wrong mindset in the first place? It kind of, everything goes wonky as a result of that. So give us an idea, maybe some of the practical tips that you have with regard to setting the right mindset. How do you concretely get it all on track? Well, I mean, as you say, there's, there are loads of practices. Um, and I think that one of the things if you when you want to try and change your mindset is to is to understand this process where the first thing to do is notice what your mindset is or notice what you're thinking then once you've got really good at noticing you can reflect on that so you notice you reflect then you make a choice and reset so it's a four-stage process um, but of course, you have to know what sort of mindset you want and what sort of mindset you have. So listening to the voices in your head, listening to the narrative that you 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 use, the stories that you tell yourself, assumptions that you're making, etc. Um, and then saying, right, are those are they serving me? Are they the ones that that will help me get to where I want to get to in life or help me to live the life I want to lead? And what I notice in my work, but also in my own mindset, my own head, is that so often our mindset um, is takes us to a fear based position. And um, what if we replace a sense of fear with a sense of abundance for example that we don't hope. have to be hope yeah lovely hope abundance a sense that it's going to be okay um and trust that resources are replenishable or that we will have enough of what we need to do what we what we need to take and of course you know um, everyone everyone needs a bare minimum we all need to survive but but i'm talking about sort of um once once that's achieved it's more like maslow's self-actualization you know um, so yes, in terms of how you change your mindset, notice, reflect, choose, reset is the process. Um, and then being very clear and disciplined about what you want to replace your mindset with. And I'm saying an enough mindset is one that's sourced from abundance, not fear, um, acknowledges what is. So it's not trying to say that everything is sort of motherhood and apple pie. It's saying, you know, Let's look at what really is in front of us, what the, the, the reality of situations. And, and remember that all we ever have is the present moment to make choices in um, and begin to uh, live in that way. And yeah, I, I, um, when, when you focus on the present moment and you, you begin to realize that you've got more choice than you thought um I, I i really believe that people don't make choices not because they um they don't know what to do but because they forget that there are choices to be made you know so you capitalize the word enough in the book you uh suggest you want to reclaim the word i was wondering if there was a i mean you talked about your what's going on in your own brain what, what was the, was there a specific moment or, or 
what was the 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 view on your mindset as you were looking into your brain that made you need to reset for you as well presumably i'm thinking that's part of your journey of course absolutely i i always joke that you you write the book you want to read right <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know i i live in the world of the, that i'm describing and you know i too over the years uh, have struggled with my sense of being enough and you know i've been on a journey with that uh, of believing that who i am and the way i want to live my life is is worthy of of uh, of feeling that it is enough for me so that's great because that's that's i've been my old my own guinea pig in lots of ways i've had loads of therapy i've let, read loads of books around about therapy and coaching and and what that takes and and it's led me to sort of philosophy and all sorts of stuff um and of course um i i've also driven myself really hard to overwork and so yeah i i'm I'm consciously, acutely aware that I'm not sort of try, trying to preach from a position of, oh, well, I know best. I'm, yeah. I'm sort of drawing on my own material. And, of course, that of, of the people that I work with. I, I think that's really, um, I, I don't think. Good material. That, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think that this is original. I think, I think that we all struggle with this stuff. I mean, I think it's a really, really um, current issue for people. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I capitalize enough because I'm, I'm, I think that, that if we can just manage to, to the bit I think we need to reclaim is um, that actually living within limits can be really useful. It can serve us. So it can be really good to say, do you know what, I, I've, I've, the, I've got enough. I don't need to do more. And that can allow you then to do fully what you're trying to do. I mean, like I say, I'm a serial overcommitter, and I have been over the years. So, um, but when I am able to say no, do you know what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to focus really well on one thing that I want to do brilliantly, and that that enables a different sort of uh, level of engagement. I think. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So the little story in my head and, and um, is that there are some, there are those who do so much, but don't realize that they're over committing there. And as you said, there are those who feel like they're never enough. I, I tend to have a rather sexist thought with regard to that, mm -hmm. that women in my observation often feel that they need to do more in order to not be an imposter. And men uh, have so much bravado that they, uh, and feel like by doing they are everything. And, and whereas they, they kind of tend to, I, we, tend to lose touch with who we are. And so my thought is that somehow we need to be more in touch with when you talk about your reset, about trying to establish, as you write a lot about, your purpose in life. Mm. So what are the tips that you have? Because I also find, and I have lots of friends and people I talk with in my life who say, well, actually I don't have any passion and I don't know what this purpose is. I kind of satisfied with just doing enough, but it doesn't sound like a very satisfied enough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I think um, the whole gender point is a really interesting one because I think that it's, of course, societally led, you know, this sense that women feel that they've constantly got to do more in order to, to achieve and also have to juggle lots of plates and are usually 
conventionally the homemakers as well the, the take the they're lead. definitely the baby makers <laughs> we there's no argument about that i think for sure and um and guys have to you know have a lot of status recognition by what they achieve and you know so we're all going each of us will be coming at it from a different journey is all i mean and and of course the the journey of integration might might be a different one so whether you're coming from a sense that you need you need to sort of reconnect with your body and your sense of what you really need um as opposed to do 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 you know how do you balance that doing and being dynamic um and uh, for women to believe that they are enough you know maybe that's the journey although i have to say there are plenty of men that i've worked with who who need that too and plenty of of women that i've worked with who do too much so of course it's it's hard to generalize um but to your point about purpose it's really it's a really interesting one that you raise because you're saying that some people just don't seem to have a sense of purpose or don't don't have that drive or, or that sense of clarity around it or any passions they're like they're nothing that you know yes they listen to music and and yes they'll watch a series or whatever and and have emotions mm. but it's not the sort of get out of bed and freaking you know try i can't wait to do this again oh my god feeling mm -hmm. yeah yeah and you know maybe maybe that's just because people are different but i i i the way i describe purpose or think about purpose is is I come at it via your sense of values. What what is most important to you? And once once you've got a clarity around what your values are, what do you most believe in? If you had to choose sort of five words of things that that you really believe to be core to who you are, that can help you to identify, therefore, what you're prepared to do in the world or what you want to do in the world. And it might be that for some people, what they want to do in the world is live a quiet life and have a sense of ease and flow. And that, for some, is others. And what I'm hearing from you is that what you want is a sense of uh, a purpose and direction and achievement. And that's, that's great, too, for you. But it, it'll be aligned with your values. And, and I think the key is to have a sense of integration and a sense of, okay, um, just awareness, actually. Once you get aware of what matters most to you, then you can sort of help focus your life so that what you're doing is is what you want to be doing and is your, is the contribution you're making to the world is one that is one that really matters to you. Um, and usually when you get really into understanding that or thinking about that stuff, it's often the case that it's not just an internal process. It's not just this is what I want for me. People I uh, know who really connect to their purpose, it's often about, and this is what I want to do for others or want to do in the world or how I get my sense of meaning. Um, and all the research is uh, into, into psychology is that actually we kind of, uh, we feel much more fulfilled and passionate when we are serving our purpose um, because it's a connector. It's a connector with us and, our, and the world. So uh, you, your comments make me think of a couple of, of previous podcasts, one with Dory Clark, mm. who um, has just written a book called The Long Game. Mm. And, and she talks about optimizing for interesting as opposed to for purpose, because if you don't have purpose or passion, well, at least optimize for interesting. And I thought that was a, a really good eye-opening take. And then your comment about values is interesting because another uh, guest, a guy called Brandt, uh, Brandt Menzoir, uh, who wrote the book Black Sheep, talks mm. about the uh, non-negotiable values mm. and, and, and starting from there. And then to your word, integrating them into everything uh, is a really good point because I've generally sort of led with purpose and then mm. checked my purpose with my values and made sure that they correspond as opposed to starting with my values and then creating a purpose. So it's, it's, it's lovely to have a, a toolbox as you look at it. And, and when you mentioned this idea that we can exist for others and doing things for our community, or I wanted you to, to make that tie that up with this notion of, of being inside out. Cause I use the term inside out in my last book, 
but in a different way. And I, so if you could talk about how the art of enough needs to be inside out, I, I think the out being the rest of the world in sure. my thoughts. Yeah. So um, my premise, and I, I, I don't want this to sound linear, right? I'm not suggesting that you have to do one before the other, because I think, you know, it can be inside out, it can be outside in. But my premise is that when we believe that we are enough, internal, we do the internal work. So we believe that we, who we are in the world is enough. And when we then get clear about what it is we want to do and we, what we can therefore say no to, so we do enough, um, then we can start to make our best contribution and connect with having enough. So this sort of be, do, have. Um, thing and that th that is uh, the biggest challenge in, in the world right now is how we are going to manage to to, to live with uh, the climate crisis. In my opinion, I mean there are loads of big challenges, of course, and uh, equality, etc., is is equally important. But but actually, in terms of um, connecting with a purpose, which is really important in terms of survival for the, for the planet having enough is is pretty out there and so so it's it my it, it's really about energy actually that that because we feel that we are enough and we've got clarity about what doing enough we are able to then connect with the challenges that that, that face the universe and that face the planet not the universe um mm. and connect with others to do that and you know i'm not suggesting that we all have to focus all our attention on uh, you know becoming eco warriors you know we'll each have to find our way with it um but we uh, but we certainly do need to think hard about how we're living on the planet and over consuming stuff well the, and then there's other things like debt and and inflation yeah. worries um on on top of that um so the art of enough and and we've talked a lot about enough uh, I would love for you, and you talk about it in your book, this notion of the art. And, and my, uh, let's say, layup is, is, is it not about the art of saying no? To an extent, it's the art of saying no. I mean, saying no is a really important ingredient in the art of enough, definitely, especially if you're somebody who overcommits. And as I've already, I've already complained <laughs> about my own ability to do that. Um, so learning to say no is really important. And I think it's sort of aligned with our sense of what, how we think about growth in, in, the, um, in the world. You know, this sort of addiction that we have or that our economies are based on GDP growth, that we always have to grow. We always have to have more. Um, and I'm saying the art of saying no is to say, no, that's not necessarily the case in terms of growth. We don't have to be bigger in order to be to be fruitful or, or grow in we can grow in different ways so yes we need to be able to say no to things that don't matter to us and we do need to say yes to stuff that really does matter to us um that's absolutely part of it and that living within limits healthy limits where everyone has in where we have enough to meet our basic needs and uh and we are able to then stop doing more than we need um can be such a brilliant place to be because it's that's where the art stuff comes in because it's really creative and enlivening and and uh wonderful i love it so the art is actually this notion of being able to express yourself and and have that creative force i when before reading the book i, I was thinking about the art as as more like sort of some vague idea you know as in well everybody has their own fingerprint and mm. and therefore it's it's far more intangible and more difficult whereas what you did is you brought a lot of practical tips into it which you know if I'm a non-artist at least I'm not a painter I'm a musician so I guess I'm an artist but I, there's a, 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 a for me artistry seems far away uh, you know, painting, I wouldn't know where to start. And as we were talking about the art of saying no, one of the things I really enjoyed in the tips was your no journal. Can you explain 
your no journal. I'm not asking you to divulge all of the secrets of the book, but I thought that was a lovely one. Yeah. Well, the no journal is about just really appreciating how great it is to say no to things. So, so the no journal is when you write down what you've said no to, you write down what it felt like to say no. And that's important because often we say, we don't say no because we are keen to please other people. So mm. so there can be some discomfort in saying no and and writing that down and it helps you to learn to sort of tolerate it or sort of understand. Relativize, yeah. Yeah, quite. Um, and then you write down what saying no enabled you to be able to do. So why did what, what was the impact of saying no on you? What did it release you to do? Um, so that you're beginning to uh, just make very overt in your own mind the benefits of saying no and what it's enabled for you. Um, because so often we get caught into this sense that we've got to say yes to things. And, and um, that's not, it's not, A, it's not true, and B, it's not, productive or it might not be serving us well so the the no journal is a process which enables you to reflect on how you how you said no what happened in the moment and what it released you then to do um and and it sort of as you build that sense of of doing it over time you go oh yes i did that that was so worth it yes i'm going to do that again and it helps you it, it's like any habit it helps you to build up your ability to do it and, and the confidence to do it because you know it'll be worthwhile and and assuming one does that because i've never been good at journaling i used to write diaries but then if you go back and read the journals, then you start connecting the dots and seeing patterns and things like, oh, I do a lot of knowing to this type of thing. Mm. I assume there's also a notion of reinforcing the values you do hold dear mm. and, and finding how that is impacting positively or aligning with who you are and your values. Yeah, totally. And um you know, in order to be able to say no, one of the things you have to get really clear about is what you want to say yes to. Because once you know what you want to say yes to, it makes saying no really much easier, actually. Um, and it's often because we're not massively clear about what we want to say yes to that we say, yeah, we'll do everything. Um, it's a bit like, you know, me writing this book. You know, I had to say no to a whole load of things, but I wanted to say yes to this book to give myself time to write it. So once I got really clear that that was my priority for the, over the last 18 months, um, it meant that I was much more able to say no um, as an example. When there are some individuals who might say, no to anything that's risky mm. which goes back a little bit to the type of people who are in the scarcity mode who don't find a joie de vivre mm. and and it's easier to say no because if i if i say yes then i might fail yeah and and i was wondering how do you overcome that type of a no where the amygdala is in full flight or fear mode mm to get over that what do you need to tap into to to say yes with that allegrity alacrity that you're talking about yeah yeah that's a great point um i think again it comes down to what do you want to do i mean it really it really does um that we when we say no but out of fear um it's it's a shutting down no isn't it it's a like oh, no i can't it's a it's a sort of as you say it comes from a sense of lack or scarcity or, or fear um and so it can really help to be clear about what you want to what you want to do so what it is you want to say yes to um and um and that makes it because often we have to do things that are scary right you know Writing a book is scary in some ways. You know, you're putting yourself out there, and you, and people will come back with their judgments and their thoughts about it. So, so actually, um, it's not suggesting that that saying yes is always the easy option, or that that it's like um, that it's it's not. It doesn't require huge courage. But the definition of courage is is feeling the fear and doing it anyway, right? Mm. It's 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 being brave. So, again, 
a lot of this is noticing. So if you notice yourself saying no to things, that opportunities that because of fear, it's going, ah, oh, okay, I'm in a scarcity mindset when I'm saying no to those things. Is, is it really true that I don't want to do that stuff? Is it, or is it that I want to, um, that I'm just scared of it? And, and is my fear so big that I can't overcome it? Or is it something that I could take some steps towards learning to, to build up my uh, courage for? Um, so again, a, a lot of this work, especially the inner work, is noticing what your patterns and, and making a choice about them. Are they enabling you to live the life you want to lead? So, Becky, as a cognitively developed individual as you are, uh, and having thought a lot about this, I, I wonder to what extent we could invent a class for kids on the art of enough. I, I, I have thoughts or I, I feel the parents saying, well, that's enough, Johnny. You know, mm. a, a lot of dampening down that happens at home. And then at school, you've always got to do more. You've got to do better. You know, that you got 72 out of 100. Well, you know, by gum, that means you've got 28 you can do better on. And so there's somehow a systemic need in our society. And yet you don't want to have sort of silver spooned or, you know, non-ambitious kids because non-ambition i think it somehow leads you down the wrong path as well i mean yeah i'll get closed off i'll, I'll be in the scarcity mode so mm. do you think there's a room for a class what yes. does that look like and what should parents be talking about and how should they be in instilling their kids ability to understand their thought patterns because once you're developed if you're an adult it's easier but it might not be so easy for the kid yeah Great. I'd, I'd love this to be taught or, or for kids to be equipped with a sense that who they are in the world is enough. So so, of course, anything you can do with kids to, to help them believe that, yeah, fundamentally who they are is is enough, that they're good, that they're that they have inner confidence or inner belief. Yes. Tick. Um, in terms of the sort of striving, the 72 out of 100, I, I think um that actually what happens is that the education systems get very narrow. So, so it, you know, it, there are certain things in education that allow, that, that we are told are, are really good and getting high scores in maths and English, or languages, whatever your language is, or um, sciences, all that stuff. Great if you're good at that stuff, but what about the people who aren't? What about the kids? So, so I would say broaden it right out. Help ch children, help us all to to really hone in on what it, what our version of, of a brilliant life is, whether that be, you know, it's a cliche, but, you know, kicking a football or singing or, uh, you know, being really good at making friends and, and social. I, I think, um, so I think we, we, our education systems, I mean, I'm not an educationalist for young people. I kind of feel my, I'm an educationalist with, uh, with adults, but, um, but I kind of feel like it's a very narrow spectrum that we give ourselves and give our kids. So, yeah, teach kids to believe that they're good, that, that, that they are enough and teach them that in order to thrive in the world, they can have a whole host of options. It doesn't just have to be that you're academically successful uh, and because then we get caught into that loop of that's the only way you can live your life. So the cheeky thought it's spinning in my head, more is enough. Because <laughs> uh, we usually like to say less is enough or you know, less is more. But in this case, it's about having a broader mm. viewpoint, therefore a wider, more points yeah. of view. Yeah, fair, fair point. Yeah. So I'm saying let's 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 widen the lens of what we feel enough is and let's move away from this very prescriptive linear pathway where whereby kids have to be able to to achieve in a certain way, uh, which is clearly exclusive to loads of other kids. You know, all you need to do, one of my daughters is dyslexic and, you know. Mine so, too, by the way. Yeah, so for her, school wasn't all about achieving top grades and, and, and doing that, but, you know, she's got a whole load of other skills. And, you know, um, the heartbreak of all of that is that it makes her, because she's not achieving these high scores, she's feeling 
internally like she's not enough and then oh there we go round and round and round so you know i do uh, and i and i live that and and i also hear you know fortunately i'm sort of trying to do the parable of well because you're not that way inclined you're going to find alternative paths and that alternative style will be very constructive for you becky lovely to have had you on the show um how can someone track you down for purposes of bringing you in to explain what is enough how to uh be fulfilled with enough uh and of course how to get your book Sure. Well, um, the art of the dust enough.co.uk is will take you to my website. My my website is actually uh, under my the name of my company, which is called Presence. Um, so you can track me down that way. I'm on social media, the art of enough, Becky Hall and Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the usuals. And um, you can buy my book from any good bookshop uh, or book bookseller. Um, it's on Amazon. It's uh waterstones in the uk there's a bookseller called waterstones but you know anywhere um will sell it i've got i've heard today that um some uh someone i know in brazil's just ordered it so amazon's sending it out there too um and uh please do get in touch if you if you want to conversation i'm really um i'm really keen for this to become a conversation or something that we start talking about and thinking about and i'm very happy to engage with people if they wanted to to get in touch with me via my website is probably the, the quickest way, but any of the socials too. Lovely. Becky, thank you so much. You're really welcome. It's been a delight talking to you. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Minterdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on Minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.